Well, it's amazing what uh, power will do for you. Amen. <laughs> well, it's good to be in the house of the Lord once again. Uh, just want to say thank you to Chris last week for taking care of Father's Day for us so well. It's a good time to be together, and it's always good to have those around that can kind of uh, just handle it, just take care of it for you. And uh, even though I was here, uh, I had uh, put together, we're in a three-part series of the three Ps of prayer, not to be mistaken with the three Ps, the pastor's prayer partners, but it just kind of worked all together, and we decided to put together the three Ps of prayers. I'm sure you can find 15 uh, types uh, things to, to learn about prayer. In this series, we're just looking at three. I, as I came into the, the this last week and, and was, was driving up to the church, I noticed that, um, have you noticed how green everything, not that it's just, it is, is green, but it's even becoming more green. Uh, it's like, I thought because the rain stopped, uh, that, you know, that, that would stop pretty soon. And it just seems to, uh, we've already had our field uh, mowed once. And it looks like we're going to get to do it again because it all came back. And it just seemed like everything. But as I was driving in, the trees, our trees out front, they're, they're kind of hanging low. They're, they're just kind of whole. They're full and they're, uh, they, they've been taking in nourishment and just taking everything that they need in. And they were getting big. And I, I thought, well, i gotta, I got to find something. Uh, so I went looking through the church. I haven't probably, uh, you know, gone on a big hunt through the entire church. I've cleaned out a few storage rooms, but I, I, I did find, I found a big pair of cutters in one of our rooms. I said, well, this is perfect. This is just what I needed. So I went out and I started, I started trying to find, I'm not really a tree trimmer, and there's a difference, right? There are people who do that, but I know enough where you're, you're, there's certain things you shouldn't do. You shouldn't skin the whole tree, you know. And so I was trying to strategically get it just where it needs. And every time I'd take a piece off, the branch would come up just a little bit and another piece off in the branch. And by the time I was done down uh, uh, Tucker, the, the trees looked like, thank you, thank you. Uh, but, but, you know, if you've ever been trimmed, It's not always the most comfortable thing. Fact it is, we are seen as sheep in God's word. We have a shepherd, and we're seen as sheep, and the sheep get so full of their wool that they have to be sheared. Otherwise, you may find them laying on their back with their feet in the air so heavy from the wool that they can't go any farther. And sometimes that razor gets a little close, doesn't it? My dad used to do that to me when I was little. He cut our hair, and, and the, those things, they get hot. I don't know why. He found the ones, I think they were called firebrand or something, because they'd get so hot that when he'd go around our ear, we'd go, Dad, that's hot. And he goes, it's not hot. And he'd stick it against his cheek. And oh, how I wished it would burn a hole in his cheek when he'd press it there, you know. You see, sometimes trimming is painful. And sometimes in our Christian life, we've been taking in and taking in and taking in. And there's times where God needs to come and maybe just do a couple of cuts here and there. And I pray that that might be the case, not for the pain of it. We're not masochists. I, I, I pray that it's for the growth that God wants to do in our lives. I just I greet you once in the, name, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is he that we can trust for our future, with our future. He, he knows the number of our days. Our God can see well beyond anything that we can see. He holds the future of each one of us in his hand, and he can see beyond what our limited vision can see or perceive. Would you agree with that? Yes, he can see much further. He can, we can count on our God to lead us and to direct us in his ways everlasting. The word tells us that for he sees from the beginning to the end. 
He's not waiting around, man, I wish another 24 hours would just kind of come and go so I can see what happens with Rob. Now, he already knows. That can be a little disconcerting, can it? Makes me want to press further into him than I ever had before, get closer to him than I ever, ever thought I could be. When I was little, I remember going out into the yard with my friends. In the yard, there would be these little flowers, these little yellow flowers, you know, the, the beautiful little yellow flowers. They, they grow in our front yards without any work. Without any cultivation, you don't need to water them. You don't need to fertilize them. You don't even need to pull weeds from around them. Do you know why that is? Because they are weeds. We know them as dandelions. <laughs> but when you're little, when you're, when you're very young, they're just that little yellow flower. And after a while, uh, the, uh, they will sprout a little round ball of fuzz right out of the middle of them. And, and if you were ever a kid which is, you know, most of us, yeah. I mean, well, uh, if you were ever a kid, you probably learned at a very young age that you could pick one of those long-stemmed balls of fuzz from the dandelion weed. You could close your eyes, and you could make a wish, and then you could blow as hard as you can all the little fuzzies off the stem. And if you blew every one of them off, the little fuzzies off the stem, with one breath, what would happen? You'd pass out? No, that's not it. I think I heard it, though. You'd do what? You'd get your wish. Your wish would come true. And as we got older, we learned what it, what it was that we were all wishing for. We, we didn't find it out until we grew past childhood and, and we became adults. It, it was then that we learned what each of us were, uh, that, that, that now we're wishing for. Do you know what that was? No more dandelions. <laughs> No more dandelions. That's right. We were all just wishing for no more dandelions because for our parents, that's what came from each one of those wishes. Just more dandelions. Can you imagine us looking out at our kids? Oh, how cute. And then go, oh, I'm going to need more chemical on my lawn. And did anyone, did anyone believe that your actual wish was going to come true? Anyone? Well, we might have at the time, but probably not. When I was about 10 in Orange County, our family, for a while, we had a big paper route. <laughs> I think my parents knew what they were doing. They are like, we have a family paper route. <laughs> it wasn't just mom's paper route. It was our family paper route. And we had nearly 400 papers to throw each and every day. Sundays get up super, super early because we're going to church, you know, and and inside that Orange County Register paper, you could go to the horoscope section and you could look up your sign. Everybody know your sign? I bet you do. Why do we know our sign? We, we know our sign. You could find out what your day was going to be like. Of course, I grew up in church following Jesus and we learned early that, uh, that we should not engage in such things, that all of our hope, all of our trust was in Christ Jesus our Lord and not in the Orange County Register horoscope section. But still, I knew many folks, even in the church, that, that would look at the horoscopes in the paper just as religiously as they, as they read the Word of God, seeking to find out what, what life would bring them that day or maybe that week. Here's one for you. I worked for a pastor in Texas. And there were not many good restaurants in our little town. And often we would take our guests to a little Chinese restaurant on the main road that went through our little town. And we'd all sit down and we'd wait for our server. And on the paper placemat right in front of us was a Chinese zodiac. And we'd all begin looking over what animal 
that our year of birth represented. You ever done that? I always wanted to be the tiger. <laughs> I want to be a tiger. Don't you want to be a tiger? I mean, out of all the things that are on there, yeah, I, I, the tiger seemed like a really good choice. Sadly enough, though, my birth year was represented by the ox. Isn't that nice? It's really sad when you want to be a tiger, but they tell you you're an ox. Well, each of these signs, they meant something, and they usually, usually something pleasant was said about you and positive things. They were told about the type of people from other signs that you should stay away from. They weren't compatible with you. I always saw most of that stuff as pretty silly, and yet there were those who were really into it. And I would hope that if you ever do look at such things throughout your day, your week, whatever, that, that you do it only for maybe recreational purposes. I, I don't even choose to go there, but just to see what it says. But anyone who would take such forecasts seriously is at risk of making some really poor decisions. French King Louis VI was a devout believer in astrology. He was deeply impressed with an astrologer uh, that, that foretold that a lady of his court would die in a night's time, and that's exactly what happened. She died. Unfortunately for the astrologer, however, King Louis decided that it was too uncomfortable to have a man around who could predict such things so accurately. He determined to dispose to dispose of his astrologer. So King Louis summoned the man uh, to his apartments and having first told his servants to throw him, the king's astrologer, to throw him out of the window when he gave the signal. Here's what he told his astrologer. His astrologer came in, he said, you claim to understand astrology and to know the fate of all others. The king said to the man, so tell me at once what your fate will be and how long you have to live. The astrologer thought about it for a moment. He said, I shall die just three days before you do. <laughs> and the shaken king canceled his plans. <laughs> Smart astrologer. We live in a strange world where people will believe just about anything. There was a woman named Judith Haim. She claimed to have psychic powers. And several years ago, she sought treatment for a physical problem. And the hospital administered a CAT scan, and Judith was injected with a dye, which she alleges caused her to lose her psychic abilities. She sued the doctor and the hospital, and she won nearly $1 million. Can, can you imagine what was that jury thinking? Obviously, none of us can predict how our life will turn out. We have no way of doing that. Are we just hoping? Do, do we shake the little eight ball to find out what is ahead for us? Do we blow all the little stems off the dandelion head to possibly know or understand what lies ahead or around the next curve or the next bend? You see, if life were a road, it would be peppered with warning signs reading blind curve ahead. How do we respond to such uncertainty? Do we grip the steering wheel with white knuckle intensity, expecting the worst? Or do we step on the accelerator and barrel straight ahead? I like the second one if I'm going to do one of the two. But do we do either of those? How do we face the uncertainties of life without some measure of anxiety? Today we're most likely to hear the 23rd Psalm 
where it offers a powerful message of hope in the face of death. But this psalm is not just for at our funerals. This psalm is for this day, and it offers just as much hope for facing life in the here and now with all of its uncertainties as it does toward the ends of our lives. We read it from the book of Psalms, the 23rd chapter. Most of us can say it by heart. It goes like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for how it shares with us right where we may need it this day, Lord. Lord, if our branches are hanging low and we're weighted down with the growth, Lord, I pray that you would come alongside and gently clip some limbs, some branches, things that are holding us down from being able to be all that you want us to be. Do that this day, Lord. We open ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, King David was the author of the psalm. He understood the meaning of the phrase, expect the unexpected. David would have understood that kind of phrase. He was the youngest son of a farming family. We just got done speaking of him just a few weeks back. And when God called him into service, he was just a shepherd boy. That's what his job was. He ended up as a, as a wealthy, powerful warrior king who led Judah and Israel. And along the way, he experienced the joy of restoring the Ark of the Covenant to its rightful place and seeing Israel's people overcome their enemies. He also experienced the heartbreak of shame and sin, of a broken family and the death of two sons. And King David's life, it contained enough drama to keep a team of soap opera writers busy for years. And yet as David looked back over his life, he could not help but see God's hand guiding and blessing and protecting him all along the way. One theme defined David's life from start to finish as an unfailing trust in God's goodness and mercy. An unfailing trust in God's goodness and mercy. And when the mighty king and the powerful king, and the mighty and powerful king search for an appropriate way to describe God's providential care in his life, he called on a treasured memory from his childhood job of tending sheep as he looked back. He, he said this, the Lord is my shepherd. He knew what that meant. The Lord is my shepherd. We have all experienced moments in our lives when God's blessings flow. I bet, I bet you could tell stories and we could stay all the way into the evening of how God has blessed our lives. And even through all the challenges and difficulties, the blessings are still on the forefront of our minds. Seemingly without stopping, he continues, it seems, to bless our lives. We have our, our, our health. We're happy. Our, our family and friends are safe. Our stomachs are satisfied. And our prayers are answered just as we want them to be at times. We are at peace and we sense God's presence very near to us. And we need these times to restore us, to remind us of the shalom peace and the, the fulfillment 
that God has stored up, that he's stored up for God's children in eternity. But then we come to verse 4. There are times when we come out of the curve of life, just around that next bend, and it says in verse 4, even though, it's not even if, or quite possibly, it says even though, it's emphatic, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. What does your shadowy valley look like? What is it that you worry about that, that eats at you while you're in the valley? Did you know that 40% of our worries are about the future and they never happen? 40% of all the worries that we think about and go, what if, what if? There's 40% and they never even happen. Did you know that 30% of our worries are about the past and the past can't be changed? About all the stuff that I messed up with. 30% of those worries, and they can't be changed. 12% are needless worries about our health. What do you do when you feel something? Doctor, what do we do? We go to WebMD, webmd.com, and we go over to the lower stomach and type in, oh, it's a dull pain, and I don't know, everything on WebMD leads to cancer, it seems to be, but, but, but do you ever go to WebMD and try and figure out what's going on? You're liars. I know you are. You all been there. Temper set fall under the category of petty worries, things we shouldn't even give any energy to that don't really matter. When, I was, uh, when our kids were younger, we came out to California, and my brother's son, he was always really concerned. We, 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 I made breakfast, and we all had breakfast, and as soon as we were about done with breakfast, he, he said, hey, what are we having for lunch? I said, are you still hungry? I can, you can have another egg if you like. No, 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 I just want to know what we're having for lunch. I said, well, you don't have to worry about lunch. Lunch isn't for another through couple hours. And I just want to know what we're having for lunch. He was very fixated on what we're having for lunch. Uh, better, the question was, I think he might have wanted to say, can we have fish tacos? That was like his favorite food. He likes fish tacos. But the things that we worry about, the 10% of them are in the category of petty worries that we don't have to worry about, you don't even have to think about. There's 8% of our worries that are absolutely legitimate concern. And there's a difference between concern and worry. Concern is something you can do something about. Worry is just worry. Nothing you can do about the worry. But you, if you're concerned, you, we can change our behaviors. We can change how we're doing it. We can make a phone call or write a letter or, or, or pay a bill or whatever it takes. We can, we can do something about the concerns, but the worries, there's nothing there. There's a man that worried about everything. Oh, how he worried. And his friend was bothered by it. He said, man, you, you got to just quit worrying about things. And a few months went by, and he came into contact with him again, and he noticed something completely different about him. He goes, man, what's going on with you? He says, you, you don't seem like you're worrying about stuff anymore. And he goes, I'm not worried about anything anymore. He goes, well, what'd you do? He goes, I hired a guy to worry for me. <laughs> he goes, you did? How, how much does that cost? He says, $10,000 a month. He says, $10,000 a month? How do you pay for that? He says, that's for him to worry about. It's not true. It's just a story. What do you worry about? 
How do you approach those percentages of things that we can't do anything about? Don't even bother looking for the valley of the shadow of death on a map. Don't open Google Maps or Waze to find its location. You're not going to find it. You see, we are all surrounded by it. We are always living in the shadow of death. Even the best things in life decay. I get up every morning and look in the mirror. <laughs> Somebody asked me how this happened. I said, I have no idea. I don't know what happened. It's just I woke up and went, hey. You know, there's just things that are falling apart. Don't, don't look at me like that. You, you look in the mirror. You know, when you look in the mirror and you go, how did a six-inch hair grow out of my neck? How did that happen? How did I not see that when it was three inches? It's getting too close to home, is it not? <laughs> Even the best things in life decay. Innocence will always be corrupted, yet God is still present. And he's working even in the presence of evil. God is still finding a way to redeem even the most challenging of times in each one of our lives. There are going to be valleys. Count on it. But we can pray. We can seek God and through his word. Why worry? Why worry when we can pray? We used to sing that, didn't we? Why worry? When you can pray, trust Jesus, he'll be your stay. Don't be a doubting Thomas, rest fully on his promise. Why worry, 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 worry when you can pray? How do I remember those things? Sandy was playing it all the time. She's all, when I was a kid, she was there playing it. Why worry when we can go to our Father? There's a story that comes from a doctor named Rachel Naomi Raymond. And Dr. Raymond is a psychiatrist who treats people struggling with cancer. And she tells a story of a young man who had cancer in one of his legs. And he had been a high school and a college athlete. Until the time of his diagnosis, he lived, in, he lived life full of beautiful people and fast cars and lots of personal recognition. And two weeks after his diagnosis, the doctors had to remove his right leg from just above the knee. And his life began to spiral out of control. As, as his life fell apart, he became very angry and, and self-destructive. And in their first meeting, Dr. Raymond asked the young man to draw a picture of his body. Just, just take your body, just draw me a picture of your body. And the angry man, he began to draw and he drew a crude sketch of a vase. And, and running through the center of that vase was a deep crack. And he went over and over the crack with black crayon, gritting his teeth and ripping the paper. Dr. Raymond writes, It seemed to me that the drawing was a powerful statement of his pain and his loss. It was a symbol of the failure of his body and the death of his image of himself as, he, as an able-bodied person with two good legs. And at the end of the appointment, Dr. Raymond, she says, I folded the picture and I saved it. Gradually over time, the young man's anger lessened and he eventually began to heal by reaching out to others. The doctor invited him to visit other young people whose problems were very similar to his own and he was often able to help them as no one else could. He identified just so closely with them and the surgeons were delighted with the results of his visits and they referred more and more people to him. Once he was asked to see a young woman who, who had a tragic family history. All the women in her family had been diagnosed with breast cancer and it, it had claimed the lives of others, other lives in her family along with her mother and her aunts and several cousins. And when her older sister started on chemotherapy, she felt driven to action. 
So she took the only option available to her at the time. She had both breasts removed surgically, and the young man, now wearing a prosthesis, came to visit her. And deeply depressed, she lay there in that bed with her eyes closed, refusing to look at him. He tried everything he knew to reach her, but without success. And he said to her things that were offensive even. He made jokes. He even got angry. And she did not respond to him. Frustrated, he finally stood. And in a last-ditch effort to get her attention, he unstrapped his artificial leg, and he dropped it on the floor with a thump. And startled, she opened her eyes, and she saw him for the first time. Encouraged, he began to laugh out loud and to hop around on his one remaining leg, and he did it in time to the music that was playing on her radio. And after a moment, she burst out laughing also. Fella, she said, if you can dance, maybe I can sing. And the two became close friends and eventually became husband and wife. Sometime later, this young man, he came back to Dr. Raymond for one last visit. And during that visit, she handed him the picture that he had drawn for the first time that they had met. And unfolding it, writes Dr. Raymond, she says, I asked him if he remembered the drawing that he had made of his body. And he took it in his hands and he looked at it for some time. You know, he said, I'm not really finished. Dr. Raymond says, I extended my basket of crayons and he took out a yellow crayon. And he began drawing thick yellow lines that radiated out from the crack in the vase to the very edges of the paper. And he began to smile. And putting his finger on the crack, he looked at me, her, he, she said, this is where the light shines through. The very thing that brought such pain in his life was now the place where the light of God shined through. You see, when you or I have an awful tragedy that strikes us. When we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we may think to ourselves, this is it. I'm finished. Notice the psalm, the psalmist, he writes, even though, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You see, times like these, times of suffering are almost always temporary. God enabled us, he enables us to go through the valley of the shadow of death. There's always a path through. There's always a way out, usually, and God knows the entire story of our lives anyway. He knows what lies ahead for each of us. We must place our trust and care in him. For Matthew says in uh, or, or I'm sorry, it says in John 16:33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, it says, you will have trouble. But take heart. Be of courage. I have overcome the world. The writer of this psalm finds the antidote to anxiety in remembering one thing, that God is always with us. God never leaves us and he never forsakes us. To know that you are never alone, to know that God's presence and strength and comfort are always available to you, to know that God has created you for an eternity and will one day redeem you entirely. And this knowledge and trust is the antidote to anxiety. This knowledge allows us to look beyond the temporary and the meaningless 
nature of this life, the fruitless horoscopes and zodiacs of this life, and remember that there is a God-given greater life that is our true purpose and goal. And the psalmist writes in verse 6, he says, Surely, absolutely surely goodness and love or mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is the precious promise of our faith. God's love is unfailing, an unfailing love, and one day we will dwell with him free of all the burdens and the way that weigh us down in the here and the now. And yet we can live today in the here and the now with the peace that comes from knowing and experiencing Christ in our lives and having that relationship with him, reading his word and praying spending the time that we need to with our Lord. George Matheson was a young seminary student in Scotland, and he, he lost his sight. Can you imagine that as a young man to become blind, what that would be like? And subsequently, George Matheson's fiance she broke off their engagement. He struggled to finish his education with his eyesight gone, and he was assigned to a small rural parish. It would have been so easy to grow bitter. Yet it was he who wrote one of the most beautiful and the most meaningful hymns, O love that will not let me go. The third stanza is what might be looked upon as an encounter to the way that any of us might react to such a tragic event in our lives. It says this, O joy that seekest me through pain. O joy that seeks me through pain. I cannot lose my heart to thee. I cannot lose my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise not in vain that morn shall tearless be. And nearly 2,000 years ago, another man lived a life of high drama and heartbreak. He would become the greatest messenger of Christ in history and would suffer greatly for his faith. His name was Paul. And Paul, while under house arrest in Rome, he wrote these words in the, to the Christians in Philippi. He said this, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I don't know what kind of valley that you may go, be going through this day, but I can tell you this, the Lord is with you. You are not alone, and by his grace, you will make it through. And even though at times you may be walking through the valley of the shadow of death, even if you are facing uncertain times in your health, in your marriage, in your children, or your finances, the Lord is your shepherd. Do not be afraid. When you walk through the storm, hold your head up high and don't be afraid of the dark. At the end of the storm, there's a golden day and the sweet silver song of the lark. Walk on through the wind. Walk on through the rain. Though your dreams be tossed and blown, walk on, walk on with hope in your heart and you'll never walk alone. You will never walk alone. I want you to know today that you do not walk alone today, that the Lord is your shepherd 
You need not want today. He makes you lie down in green pastures. He leads you beside quiet waters. He restores your soul. He guides you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though, even though you, even though we all walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he is our shepherd. The Lord is our shepherd. And we need not fear evil, for our God is with us. Our God comforts us and God leads us. Lynn Anderson's song way back in the day. You guys always get that in this service. Sometimes I say that second service and people go, wasn't back in my day. But her song, Rose Garden, peaked in the charts, the music charts at number three in 1971. Her song made this statement, I beg your pardon. I never promised you a rose garden. See, you know it. Next service they'll go, sorry. Unless it's the Beastie Boys, I just don't get it. I beg your pardon. And often in our walk with God, we find ourselves wondering, why is this happening to me? Why must I go through this? Why must I endure such things? I mean, I've committed myself to Jesus, and now it seems things are not going according to God's purposes or promises. And this 23rd Psalm just might help each of us as we navigate the unmet expectations of what we thought God was promising when, he, when we gave our lives over to him and how we should pray as we face the realities of this world. God didn't promise us a rose garden. As a matter of fact, he told us that in this world we would have trouble. We're going to have problems. The writer was saying, count on it. You will have trouble. But Jesus tells us, take courage for I have overcome the world. How do we take courage? How do we have confidence that no matter what comes our way, no matter what is around the next bend, that we can be of good cheer? That Greek word there showing this unflinching, bold courage means living out the, in, the inner confidence, the inner bolstering that is spirit-produced. It's not just churned up because we decide to be positive thinkers no matter who's on the radio. It's one that comes from a spirit that dwells within us. How can we live this way in the face of such uncertainties of life? We can pray, knowing that there will be problems. We can pray and pronounce over our lives, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside. These are all things that God's going to do in our lives if we will follow him, if we will trust him. He restores my soul. He guides me in, in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through those uncertain times, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and you, you have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. When was the last time you felt like your cup was overflowing? If you feel that way, give somebody a drink. Give someone a drink. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And what a beautiful picture. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thanks be to God. Let's stand together. What are you facing today that makes this hard to pray? What challenges are in front of you clouding this truth that the Lord is your shepherd? Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 says, Come to me, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon 
you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What is it that makes it hard to trust the Lord to pray? Hard to pray. He says, come to me. Jesus said in John 10, 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Are you willing to follow him today with your shadowy walk through the valley of the shadow of death? Let's pray. Father, we all walk that road. It can be our health. It can be our relationships. It can be our work environments. It can just be the, the sense of the culture today and how awful things seem to be quite often. Lord, perhaps our trees are weighed down with heavy brush and heavy growth. And just for a moment, Lord, maybe you need to do some trimming for us, Lord, that we may uh, uh, see things in the here and now that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't fear that evil for thou art with me, Lord. You are with us. Lord, trim where we need trimming, Lord, that our, our, our hands might be raised once again to glorify you, to praise your name, to exude that kind of confidence that comes from the word of God and the spirit that dwells within us, Lord. Send us from this place not defeated, not crushed, not torn apart. Send us as, as peace givers to others. With our cups overflowing, Lord, help us to give others a drink. And we want to give you thanks for that. Lord, we do face difficult things. There are true challenges. I think it was 8% of things, of concerns that maybe we need to work on to do something this week. Help us with those things, Lord. But the other stuff, may we let it go. Let it go. The stuff that we can't change, the, the stuff that's just on our minds and we won't let our minds rest, may we find rest in you. And then, Lord, send us out to be the kind of peacemakers that you want us to be, bringing, bringing your, your good word to a culture that is just angry about everything. So, Lord, bless these, your people, as we go from this place. Might you be honored and glorified as we, as we uh, walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but not fearing evil, Lord, because you are with us. Bless these, your people. Inspire us. May the Spirit dwell richly in us. And may we at one day find that we may dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen and amen. Thank you, Lord. God bless. You're dismissed. Amen.